as we get started. Do you mind uh, just bowing your heads with me? Father, I recognize that your Holy Spirit that I need and that we need as we come together this morning. And we ask for that in Jesus' name. Amen. There is a, a remarkable amount of marriage that is conducted in the U.S. Uh, two million, roughly, marriages a year. Uh, that's 5,500 a day. That's, that's like someone getting married every three and a half minutes. Um, of course, our goal in marriage, of course, is that it would be uh, everlasting, right? Uh, marriage is a special covenant. I thought I'd show you a picture here. Um, agreement between two people. It's when it's made in love, this covenant is truly a joy to take up and to keep. And uh, if you're wondering, that is, yeah, I tell you what, especially the bride, uh, she is incredible. Uh, this is a few years back. Um, I got sidetracked by looking at the bride. Um, however, there, there is another covenant that is spoken about in the Bible that is also a joy for us to keep. I'd like you to turn with me, if you don't mind, to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5, and we are going to be looking at verse 30. Galatians 5, verse 30. And this other covenant to keep, this other uh, relationship is very, very special. Relation, uh, Galatians 5, verse 30. That is an incorrect text. And I jumped on that one faster than I needed to. All right. Could you please just turn with me to Galatians chapter 3, verse 27? Galatians 3, verse 27. The Bible says, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have done what? He have put on Christ. As many as you have been baptized into Christ, you have put on Christ. Notice the depth of connection that is here. You're baptized into Christ, and you have put on Christ. Baptism is a sign of a very close connection between God and his people. Um, but it's not just his people. Do you mind turning? 1 Corinthians. We're going to do a little bit of Bible study this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And we'll be looking at verse 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. You know, we were reading a marriage book before we got married. And uh, they made a statement that when you get married, you're not just marrying your spouse. Who else are you marrying? The family. Everyone knows that, right? And uh, if you don't like the family, well, God bless you. Uh, because you're not marrying just one person. You're getting involved in a family. And 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 12 says, what is true in marriage is also true in the spiritual world. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 12 says, for as the body is one and has many members, but all are members of the one body, of that one body, excuse me, of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. Then it says in verse 13, for by one spirit we were baptized into one body. So I see baptism, I'm being baptized into Christ, I'm putting on Christ, but then I also see that baptism is you're being baptized into a body. 
So baptism is not just a union with Christ. You are united with everyone else who's united with Christ. So you're kind of joining a family. Um, I, I, I find that interesting. Um, how many of you? No, no, uh, that's not a good question. Um, sometimes you wish you were only married to one person. Please, take the context here. Don't take this out of, con- out of context. We are, we, are, we are joining a larger body of people. And when you become baptized into a church, like it or not, you've got new brothers and sisters. And so marriage, uh, baptism is learning how to get along with them, just like marriage is learning how to get along with your father-in-law and your mother-in-law and or whatever in-laws you've got. There's another passage, uh, and I think that helps us see something. How important was baptism to Jesus? How important was this idea of commitment, being uh, having a covenant relationship? How important was it to Jesus? You say very, and you're right. Matthew 28, the final command that he gives. Go ye therefore and teach all nations. What's the next word? baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. So there, there was a, a command that God asked us to go out and to baptize. And in more than that, Matthew chapter 3, we'll be looking at this text a little bit later, but in Matthew chapter 3, verse 13, Jesus himself was baptized. Baptism is very important in God's eyes, and here's why. Baptism is a symbol of commitment, loyalty, and allegiance to Jesus Christ. Um, I want you to, if you don't mind, uh, just a little bit of imagination here. I've been comparing marriage a little bit here to baptism. Let's say that uh, I like uh, Christina, and I, and I do very much. But let's say 15 years ago, because it's a little bit uh, since then, 15 years ago, I said, you know what? I really like you, but um, instead of getting married, can we just like... It's just a little bit too much commitment. I just want to hang out with you. And, uh, you know, we can make out every now and then and just enjoy our friendship. Um, but I just don't know if I want to commit right now. How loved does she feel? Help me out. How loved does she feel? It's a good start, but now it's not enough because she wants commitment because love implies commitment. And it's the same thing with our relationship with Jesus Christ. To say, hey, I, I, I like you, but I don't know if I want to go all the way right now. God says, okay. Does it change his love for us? No, but does he long for more? Absolutely. And that's, a, I think, an interesting point for us to see here today. I like to... Um, I realized my slides. What does baptism symbolize? Romans chapter 6. I love Romans 6. Uh, beautiful passage. We're not going to go through all of it today, but we're going to spend just a little bit of time on the first few verses. Romans chapter 6, and we will start with verse 3. Romans 6 and verse 3. Romans 6, 3 says, Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into what? His death. So 
one point we just want to bring out. When I'm baptized, I'm publicly showing my connection with Christ. When I'm baptized, I'm publicly showing my oneness with Christ. That's what happens at baptism. Let's look at verse 4. Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Baptism is a symbol of two things. Death and resurrection. Baptism is a symbol of what two things? Death and resurrection. And that is uh, important. That resurrection is a walking in newness of life. Now let's look at verse 5. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. To be resurrected like Jesus, there needs to be a death like Jesus. There cannot be a resurrection if there is not first a death. I know how desperately the human needs resurrection. I spent years of my childhood angry. I don't know if any of you have spent years of childhood being angry. Maybe you, you can empathize. I wanted things differently than they were. I ran away from home. I had a lot of fighting, mouth battles, disrespect for my parents. I did not like my life, and I contemplated ending it at times. I was an angry child, an angry boy. I needed a resurrection. And I did not want the same of the old. I wanted a new life. And when I met Jesus, something changed in me. I remember traveling back from an outing at the academy where I was attending. And I remember driving my car back home and just being so frustrated inside because I was out of control. My life was out of control. I'm a senior about to graduate, and nothing seems to be happening the way I want it to happen. Why? I had a, a great background. Uh, as much as I've made some comments here, I want to tell you, my, my parents raised me to love Jesus, and I praise God for that. There was just a lot of rebellion and, and frustration in my heart. And so I am, God, why? How come everything I do is failing? My relationships with other people are falling apart. My relationship with you is falling apart. Uh, my father is a man who does not curse. I grew up not hearing cursing from my father. And I can tell you that I learned that a real man doesn't curse. And yet, I had reached a point in my existence that here I am at 17, class pastor of the graduating senior class. 
and I'm cursing for the first time in my life. And I'm realizing my life is going down the drain, so to speak. It's when I realized that, and I cried out to God from the cab of that pickup. God, you better take my life because there's nothing I can do with it. God said, finally. Finally. And I tell you, something happened other than the fact that I started crying. You don't cry, but I did. And I realized that God did something in my life. I worked at the Adventist Book Center in Pennsylvania. And as I was working there that summer after this took place, and I was helping everyone fill out their veggie meat orders for camp meeting, and I was carrying out these cases of books and food, I remember people saying, Chuck, something's different with you. You've changed. And I think I've shared this story before. Someone said, did you meet Jesus? And I said, Yes, but I didn't know it was so obvious I hadn't before. You know, death has to take place to our plans, to our ways, to our goals sometimes. And a resurrection of God's plans, God's goal in his life in ours. And that is what baptism symbolizes. Verse 6 says this, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. The rest of the chapter, Romans chapter 6, says you have a choice. Serve sin, serve God. And uh, we mentioned this briefly in our Sabbath school class today. There is two options in life. Be a servant or be a servant. And if I was going to use the Greek word, which is not popular today, I would say this, to be a slave or to be a slave. That's our choice. I choose to be a servant of God. I'm going to have to serve someone. I want to serve him. And that is the choice uh, that is described here in Romans chapter 6. So baptism is symbolic. It symbolizes a couple things. And I'd like to focus on uh, first one. Dying to the old sinful way of life. We've already discussed it, but do you mind turning to another verse? Colossians chapter 3. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. So it's going to be uh, right after Philippians. Colossians chapter 3. And there's a whole section here. It's fantastic. It's verses 1 through 11. We're not going to read all of them, but I'd like to focus on verse 5 here briefly. Therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth. And this sounds odd. Let's just read what's talked about here. Fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Then verse 6, because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience. Now look at verse 8. But now you yourselves are to put off all of these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth, do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with his deeds. So when it says put off the old man, this is what it's talking about. What I used to do. Now, um, if you die and you're raised to a new life, another word for that would be you're born again. Have you heard that phrase? It's a common phrase in Christianity, born again. Um, Let's hold on to it. 
because I think there's a very important point that comes with being born again. Um, if you're dead to something, do you respond to it? Not if you're dead. If you went up and to a casket and offered them a drink from your Jack Daniels bottle, is the hand going to reach out and grab the cup? No, because it's dead to it. If you slapped or cruelly treated someone who was dead, can they respond? No, because they're dead to it. I tell you, I have to pray this at times. God, help me be dead to it. Help me be dead to this feeling. Help me be dead to this thought. Help me be dead to what I want to do. The Bible is asking us to be dead to it. And by the way, I don't think a person could be dead to it if you aren't burying it and becoming alive. You know, they, uh, there's this phrase, old-fashioned phrase, that says, bury the hatchet. But some people bury it with the handle sticking out of the ground. That's not the way we're supposed to bury our sins. We're supposed to let them go. Now, I, I want to emphasize, who is... Who is who is, when you're dying, are you doing anything? You're dying, correct. When you're dead, are you doing something? No. But if there's life in you, Jesus Christ, he's doing something. We can't miss it. It's not, okay, you die, and then your life is what's going to fight it off. No. We remain dead and have the life of Christ in us. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. It's not me that's living. It's him that's living. That's the picture, Galatians 2.20, that God is wanting us to get. All right. There's this next. Rising up again out of the water to walk in newness of life. Um, Baptism is a rebirth. My son, my youngest son, my oldest son is more mature. But my youngest son, ay, ay, ay. Our whole bathroom smelled like tea tree oil this morning. Because someone climbed up the side of the shower, grabbed the tea tree oil, and poured it all out in the shower, thankfully. But uh, he's a kid. He's still learning. He has no idea that that wasn't a good thing to do. He just thought climbing would be fun and let's grab whatever can be opened and let's pour it out. I have to recognize that he is still young and he's going to make mistakes. Baptism is a rebirth, but it doesn't mean you're perfect. Does it make sense? I have, there, there are children here that have been born recently. Do you have any perfect, no, I'm not going to ask. I was going to ask if there's any perfect children in any home around here. And I think all of you would say, no, not our home. Because as we grow, we grow and become more mature and we learn more things. But the reality is, you're still making mistakes. Ah, I still change diapers. And quite frankly, if this is a little too blunt, don't take it that way, but Sometimes when you're in a church, 
there's still some people who've got some stinky diapers. Yes? And I'm not talking about the one and two-year-olds. Right? And we have to recognize that. See, baptism is not a sign that you have a perfect life, but it says, I'm a committed Christian. I love Jesus Christ. I'm committed to him. You see, when I married Christina, I did not promise her perfection. It's a good thing, too. Because I'm not perfect, but I'm committed to her. She is my wife. I'm committed to her. When you are a Christian, you say, God, you're my God. I'm committed to you. I may not understand everything you do, but I'm committed to you. Baptism says, I may make a mistake, but I'm committed to you. And that is the picture, beautiful picture, that God is teaching us here. I believe there are several steps um, that take place as a person is, is, is walking towards baptism. If you've already been baptized, it's good to review this. If you've not been baptized, I would encourage you to listen up. I think all of us can benefit from this. The first thing, and that is the classic one that we're all familiar with, is we need to believe. Can you turn to Acts chapter 8 with me? Acts chapter 8. If a person doesn't believe, then they shouldn't be baptized. Acts chapter 8 and verse 12 says, But when they believed Philip, as he preached all the things concerning the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. So belief was important. Um, Acts chapter 8, verse 35. Acts chapter 8, actually verse 36. Now as they went down the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, I lost my place. See, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So that was a very clear statement. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I recognize him as my Messiah, my Savior. Belief is important. Accepting and following Jesus' teachings is also important. Acts chapter 2, verse 41. Acts is full of baptizing, a lot of baptizing. This is uh, the beginning here of the Christian church. Acts chapter 2 and verse 41. After Peter's Pentecost sermon, it says, Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day were 3,000 souls were added to the church. Let's read that first phrase one more time then. Then those who gladly received his what? Word were baptized. What was the word that Peter was preaching? Well, do you time Matthew chapter 28? He was preaching what God, Jesus, had told him to preach. Matthew chapter 28. And notice what it says in verse 19. Matthew 28. Actually, verse 20. Let's read with verse 19. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Verse 20. Teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. Now, there are some times, uh, I'm going to emphasize the word all. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it. But there are some times people say, Chuck, I think you cover too much information. You share too much. 
All we have to know is that Jesus died for our sins, and that's all you need to tell us. And I say, you know, that's the most important thing. But that's not the all. Jesus said, I need to share all things. Why? Because there's a bigger picture of who God is. And if we can see the bigger picture, our love will only deepen for him. He wants us to say all things. Is there a benefit in knowing that Jesus is coming back again? Absolutely. Is there a benefit in knowing that he gave us a law that says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself? Absolutely. That kind of living is, is what God wants us to experience. And quite frankly, when I see that law, you know what it makes me do? Run to Jesus Christ because I don't have that love and he can give it to me. So when I share these things, when we, when we talk about these things, it's because God says all of it. Why? Because the bigger the package, the more complete the package, the more we know Jesus and his love for us. Our next point is this, repent. And of course, this is also taken from Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2 and verse 37. Acts chapter 2, verse 37. Jesus, uh, Peter has finished preaching, and the crowd that's listened to him says this, verse 37. They heard this, they were cut to the heart, and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said, what's that word? Repent and be baptized. Repent and be baptized. I, uh, do I have the picture here? Nope, I don't, so I'll just go back. Repent is, uh, means something very simple. Repent means to turn. So I'm walking this direction, and if I repent, I turn around, and I walk this direction. So repentance simply means you've changed your direction. You've turned around. You're going a different way. Um, if you are a, uh, a person who has beaten up people, and you still are beating them up, you're still drunk, you're still cursing God, you need to turn around from that lifestyle and live a new life of soberness, of kindness, of respect for God. Does that make sense? There needs to, there's a change that takes place. And that's what God is talking about with this. You know, I, um, John the Baptist is probably the most famous baptizer in the Bible. Did you know that John the Baptist had a very special baptizing sermon? You like to hear it? It's Matthew chapter 3. No, I, I, uh, I have spoken on baptism. I've made calls for people to be baptized many places. But I've never preached John the Baptist's baptism sermon. Uh, I share it, but I don't preach it. Here it is in Matthew chapter 3, and starting with verse 7. It says, John the Baptist, when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, brood of vipers. How would you like to have that? You're coming, you're interested in getting baptized. I like to get baptized, you snake. Yeah, that's not, that's not really saying uh, I want to get baptized. Then he goes on and says, who has warned you to flee from the wrath to come? I ask you a question. If you wanted to be baptized and you heard that, what would you do? Then he says this. 
Therefore, bring forth fruits worthy of repentance. What he's saying is, if you're a snake, you've got to stop being a snake. Does it make sense? If you're living the life of a snake, you got to stop living the life of a snake. Now, the bottom line is, I try as hard as I tried, I couldn't stop living the life of a snake. So what did I have to do? I had to say, God, I can't do it on my own. I need you. Come into my life. That is the experience of a Christian who's repented. It's not saying, I'm going to stop hating my sister. I'm going to stop cursing. I'm going to stop wishing I could kill somebody. I'm going to stop fornicating. That is not repentance. Repentance is I meet Jesus Christ. I realize what he's done for me. I accept him into my life. And when I surrender, I also turn. And then God walks with me into a new life. That's the picture. A person who has that kind of life then tells everyone else, I'm going to get baptized because I want everyone else to know who is my God. That's the picture we see here. <clears throat> so what does baptism look like? Uh, I had some pictures here that I took out. Uh, I wish I could have shared them with you, but I, had, I didn't have enough, too much data to transfer this via email, so I had to fine-tune it. But you, um, what is baptism? Is it baptism like a bubble bath? You jump in it and the sin just kind of disappears? No. Uh, is it like uh, antibacterial wipes? We got a lot of that these days, right? I just put it on and, and what is baptism supposed to be like? Um, how many different kinds of baptism are there? You know, there's a, uh, let me see if I have it here. Yes. Do you know there's something called immersion? That means when a person goes under the water. Uh, then there's something called trine immersion. That means you go under the water three times. Uh, Father, Son, Holy Ghost. Uh, there's another one that's called aspersion. Any of you ever heard of aspersion? It's kind of a, a fancy word for sprinkling. You've heard of sprinkling, right? So you could sprinkle someone. Um, then there is infusion, which is probably more common in a lot of churches, and that's when you pour water. Um, typically, it's done to babies. Uh, then there is sprinkling with something other than water. Oil, salt, wine. Uh, there's also another kind, and that is uh, something more recent, male order baptism. You're listening, and you say, man, I'm just moved by this. I want to get baptized. Well, if you just call up this number, they'll send you your baptismal certificate. What does the Bible talk about baptism? Well, we've already given the idea of what it symbolizes, so we can kind of know what it means. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 5 says, There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism. So uh, the word baptism is actually uh, from the word baptizo. Uh, it's in Greek, and it means to dip, immerse, or plunge underwater. And there was a, a, a Greek poet, physician, Nicander. And he talked about making pickles. And he used the word 
baptizo. And here's what he said. You take your vegetable and you bapto, not baptizo, bapto, into hot water. Dip it into hot water. Then you baptizo into vinegar. And that's how you make your pickles. He was given a little recipe for how to do it. Um, interesting. You dip it in hot water, you change it a little bit, but when you put it into vinegar, it's forever changed. And the concept of baptizo was a, a life-changing immersion. And that's uh, what the baptism is supposed to be for us. Now, um, this is the Jordan River. Uh, I, when I grew up, I always thought the Jordan River looked a little bit like um, an inlet uh, to a harbor or something. I mean, it was big in my mind. The Jordan River was a mile wide. Uh, but the Jordan River, actually, this was probably in flood season, uh, this picture, because the Jordan River sometimes just is, you could walk across it. Uh, flood season, you can't. But uh, during a lot of times, this is a, a picture where Jesus would have been baptized somewhere on this river. I'd like to just look at a few texts from the Bible that talk about what kind of baptism the Bible talks about. Let's look at uh, Jesus, John chapter 3. This is actually John the Baptist. John chapter 3. We'll look at a few passages here, and then I'd like to close up with a few thoughts, uh, help us to get a picture maybe of what God is saying for us today. John chapter 3, verse 23. John 3, 23, and then we will look at a few more. John chapter 3. In verse 23. Now John also was baptizing in Anan near Salim because there was much water there and they came and were baptized. It's interesting that John baptized where there was a lot of water. Uh, there was a reason for that because the baptism in the Bible was that you would go under. But let's look at it. Uh, Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1, we look uh, here at the baptism of Jesus. and We'll look at just this one. It says in Mark chapter 1 verse 9, and it came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John next to the Jordan. In the Jordan. Please note where he was at. He was actually in the Jordan River. Then it says this. And immediately coming up from the water, he saw the heavens parting and the Spirit descending upon him like a dove. Then a voice came from heaven saying, you're my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. You can read this same account in Matthew chapter 3. Jesus went down into the water, was baptized in the water, came up out of the water, and then God spoke to him. And you heard God saying, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. I heard a speaker once say this, and I agree. He says, when people are baptized today, he says the same thing. This is my beloved son, my beloved daughter. And them am I well pleased. When you make that public commitment for Christ. You know, when I preach at a wedding, um, I ask couples sometimes to hold hands in the audience. I say, if you've already been married, and as you listen to these vows, maybe you want to hold hands and recommit yourselves to each other. You know, in a baptism, I think it's something, a good thing for us to do as well. As we learn about this, recommit ourselves to that. There is uh, Acts chapter 8. And this is uh, one last one, and then we'll, we'll share a few more thoughts as we are closing up our study here on this kind of commitment to Christ. Acts chapter 8. Philip meets the Ethiopian eunuch who is on his way back 
to his home country, reading the prophet Isaiah's scroll. He's convicted that Jesus is the Messiah because he's been preached that by Philip. Then it says in verse 38, So he commanded the chariot to stand still, and both Philip and the eunuch went down where? Into the water, and he baptized him. And when he came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away so that the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. Incredible. The concept, you would go into the water and be immersed. Come back out of it. Now, just a few pictures here. Uh, This is from Bible scholar Dean Stanley. He says, For the first 13 centuries, the almost universal practice of baptism was that of what we read in the New Testament, in which is the very meaning of the word baptize that those who were baptized were plunged, submerged, immersed into the water. Would you like to see a few pictures? Here they are. This is a baptistry in Philippi. Uh, It was a hole, uh, a tub, if you will, and you would go down into it. And do you notice that it's kind of the center of attraction there? Kind of everything keeping focus, this commitment with Jesus Christ. Uh, Here's another picture. Um, how would you like to get baptized there? Do you think that Romans 6 would play around in your mind as you're being baptized here? I am being crucified with Christ, and I'm going to be resurrection into newness of life. Um, it might make a person think twice, though, as they were getting baptized. Um, here's another one. This is actually uh, the church in Ephesus where John ministered and where they had, I think it was the third or fourth general council of the church. In this church, they have a baptistry. Here it is. You would walk down steps going into the baptistry from both sides, kind of like what we have here. We have steps coming down here, we have a baptistry, and we have steps coming back out. Um, This was a baptistry, and this is from the third century, third and fourth century. So again, it's something that is um, a pool where you would go into it and be immersed. Uh, this uh, baptistry, uh, is a, it looks like it's actually empty on the inside. You go inside it. This baptistry is in, uh, you've heard of the Leaning Tower of Pisa? This is the Cathedral of Pisa right next to it. And this is their baptistry. So a change took place. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it, but there is a change because not a lot of people understand the concept of immersion today, even though it was the main thing in the Bible in those days. And here's where the change came from. There was a council that took place in 1311 AD, and uh, it said that sprinkling and pouring are officially accepted as equally valid as immersion in the rite of baptism. It wasn't really based upon a Bible principle. It was based upon something else. Historian uh, Cardinal James Gibbon says this, For several centuries after the establishment of Christianity, baptism was usually conferred by immersion. So for for quite a few centuries, hundreds of years, after Jesus was here, immersion or baptism by going death, burial, resurrection was what was accepted. Um, But since the 12th century, the practice of baptizing by infusion has prevailed in the Catholic Church. Infusion, again, meant pouring, right? as this manner is attended with less inconvenience than baptism by immersion. So there was some things to be said. If you're going into the water and you are dressed in really nice, um, we call it uh, vestry, yes, nice robes and clothes as a priest, 
it, it just, it was an effort. It was a lot of effort was connected with it. And it was found to be easier for everyone involved to simply pour it. I'm only going to make one comment, and that is to ask, does this retain the meaning of the death, burial, and resurrection? It doesn't. The idea is when you are immersed, you go completely underwater. And for a time period, you're not breathing. It's a symbol of death. And then you come back out of the water to walk in a new life. There's a, I think we have one here. Yes. And he continues, the church exercises her discretion in adopting the most convenient mode according to the circumstances of time and place. And while uh, I respect um, my Catholic brothers and sisters to make their decisions based upon that tradition, I think if we are Bible-believing, we need to make our decisions based upon the Bible. So there is another reason, and I would like to uh, just point out that other reason. There was a teaching, Greek philosophy, mixed with Christian teaching, that led to people to believe that babies were guilty of Adam's sin. And they said, if that's true, then we have to baptize them to keep them from being sent to eternally burning hell. There's a lot of problems with everything I just said there. But this was the mindset. Uh, here's just a couple of things. Uh, children aren't guilty for their parents' sins. Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 20. Crystal clear. Another point. Baptism is a sign of faith and commitment. Baptism is not some kind of spiritual shield to keep you out of hell. It's actually a commitment sign, just like marriage. Uh, another one, hell. I know some of you are familiar with this, but hell is actually not uh, going to burn for the ceaseless ages of eternity. And you say, well, you made that a very bold statement, Chuck. Well, let me just read two passages. I'm going to quote one. You can quote with me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. We know there's two options. Perishing, and that Greek word means destruction, or everlasting life. He doesn't say shall not have everlasting life in hell or have everlasting life in heaven. That wasn't the choice. So that idea of protecting babies, and one more, one more thing. Can a baby follow the biblical steps of believing? Can they follow accepting the teachings of Jesus? Not when they're a baby. Can they repent? Well, they have nothing to repent of at that point, yes. So a baby can't go through those steps. I, I would not, I would not let Ian come up here right now and get married. Just wouldn't do it. He's not ready for it. And none of you would send your daughter up here with him. Because you know they're not ready. And so that's, that's the concept here. Um, oh, by the way, beautiful baby there, isn't it? Uh, this picture was taken about 10 years ago. So I can tell you which one of my children it is. Okay. <laughs> Uh, cute little one. What about rebaptism? Now, I know that, um, okay, three weeks from now, two weeks from now, we will be having a baptism here. There'll be a baptism and a rebaptism. 
okay? And um, I'm excited. It'll be 3.30 in the afternoon. Uh, we have a young couple that is going to be getting married the next day, and they want to be baptized so they could start their life out with God. What do you say? Amen. So there'll be a baptism, rebaptism. Excited. I'm looking forward to it. What does the Bible say about this rebaptism? Um, you know, I don't get remarried to Christina. But there might be sometimes I would consider it if I did certain things. So I'd like to just discuss something. Is that okay with you? There is one recounting of it in the Bible, and I'd like to just point it out briefly. It's found in Acts chapter 19. So Acts chapter 19. And um, then there is some discussion with it. I'll, I'll briefly just bring up. Acts chapter 19, starting with verse 2. I'm going to start with verse 1. And it, and it happened when, while Apollos was at Corinth that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus. And finding some disciples, he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? So here's a, a group of disciples. They're followers of Jesus Christ. Jesus, uh, I mean, Paul meets them and says, so do you have the Holy Spirit in your life? And the response here in verse 2, um, and so they said to him, we have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. They didn't even know that the Holy Spirit existed. And he responded and said, Unto them, uh, what were you baptized? And verse four, they said, uh, in verse three, they said, So they said unto him, Unto John's baptism. Oh, so you're believers. You were baptized by John, but you are believers in Christ now. Verse four. And Paul said, John indeed baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So they had been baptized before, but they're, they're choosing to be rebaptized because of some of the, the things that they had learned. Now, when we look at rebaptism, and there's some other things that were connected with that, some people choose to be rebaptized, and here are some of the reasons that I hear. Um, new life changing truth. I find out, you know, I'm not talking about we just found out a new thing in our devotions this morning. I hope that's happened to you every day. But we're talking about life-changing, altering truth, like there is a Holy Spirit. Uh, that was a life-changing truth. Um, having no previous immersion. If you have not been baptized with the death, burial, resurrection symbol of baptism, then biblically you aren't baptized and you'd want to be rebaptized. Uh, if you strayed far from Jesus, you know, if I, I, I always get nervous saying this because you're supposed to always talk faith, and, and I do not believe this will ever happen, but if I ever strayed from Christina and just left, I'd want to be remarried. I'd want to let her know I'm recommitting. I strayed far. I broke my previous commitment. I want to recommit. And then the last one, an empty form, What I'm about to share, some of you may uh, challenge me on. Please feel free to do so afterwards. I don't believe a person should be baptized unless they believe in Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, unless they've accepted his teachings, and unless they've repented. I believe that with all my heart. And so I do not believe in baptism, baptizing people simply because they're the right age to be baptized. I know that that may be a strong statement. But people should be baptized when they have made the decision to be baptized. I had a, 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 someone in my past come up to me, a pastor, 
And this is when I was a young man and said, okay, Chuck, it's time for you to get baptized. We've set up a baptism and here's the date and that's when you're going to be baptized. And I remember uh, I, I, I was raised to be respectful. And so I didn't say anything, but I went to my mom and I said, I have to get baptized. I'm getting baptized in two weeks. She goes, did you ask to be baptized? I said, no. She goes, well, then you're not getting baptized. Praise God for a mama. And she's a mama bear when that happens. And so that never happened. And I'm thankful because it was actually five years later, four or five years later, when I made a personal decision for myself to be baptized. 16 years old. Some people say that's a little old. But it was my decision. And I believe that a person should make a decision for Christ and be baptized when they're ready to be baptized. That being said, if you want to be baptized, I love to start studies, review, and see it happen. Because there's nothing more beautiful in my mind than people committing their lives to walk and live with Jesus Christ. It's fantastic. All right. Um, what is baptism a sign of? Death to the old life, a burial, and then a new life in Jesus Christ. A beautiful, beautiful picture. She was a friend of mine in school at some time. And ended up getting in a relationship that was not good. As a result of that relationship, uh, that marriage, she found, uh, she had a child and then found out that her husband uh, had not been faithful to her. When confronting him, he clarified that it had happened multiple times. She was angry and felt that all men were slime. Rightly so, yes. And yet at the same time, as it weird as it is, sometimes in that position, you start looking for love in all the wrong places. And soon she had two children. There was a man who was in her life, a Christian man who said, God has told me that you're the right person for me. And she said, <laughs> no. And yet he was persistent, came in and out of her life over months, maybe a year or two kept saying it. Finally, she said, you know what? I'll tell you what, I will marry you. But it's not because I love you. I'll marry you because my children need to have a father. He said, that's good enough for me. You'll learn to love me. They got married. And as she told me this story, she said, I did everything I could to make his life miserable. I don't love him. I would never cook what he wanted to eat. Leave the house a mess. Wouldn't, wouldn't wear clothes that he liked. She goes, I'd walk by and I'd see him kneeling by the bed praying and crying and knowing that it was me that he was crying about. But something happened. You know, Jeremiah chapter 31 verse 3 says, The Lord hath appeared of old unto me, saying, Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness have I drawn thee. Well, that's what happened to her. Something happened. After a year, she actually fell in love with her husband. Amazing. I know that the Lord of old hath appeared to us. He draws us with his love. 
And he's asking us, recommit your life to me or commit it to me. He's asking for our hearts this morning. Just like this friend of mine who gave this man a chance, I encourage you, if you've never done it before, give Jesus a chance. Give him a chance to do a miracle in your life. Give him a chance to change you. I am sure that there are some here who have made a decision for Jesus Christ. But if there's someone in here this morning who would like to raise their hand and say, I have never been baptized, and I would like to consider being baptized, would you feel free to raise your hand? I have not been baptized before, but I would like to consider being baptized. Maybe there's someone in here who says, I have been baptized, but you know what? It's been, I've strayed really far from Jesus, and I'd like to consider having rebaptism. I'm just making the opportunity open. Okay. And the last thing. There are some of you, as you've listened to it, just like at a marriage ceremony, as you've recommitted your vows to your spouse, as you listen to the marriage ceremony, some of you say, you know what? I realize that Jesus has calling on my heart. I don't need to be rebaptized, but I sure want to recommit my heart to him. How many of you would like to do that this morning? Amen. I praise God for that because there is no sweeter relationship in this world than the relationship with Jesus Christ. There will be a baptism again two weeks from now. 3.30 in the afternoon, I will be preaching in Nantucket in the morning and we'll catch the boat over and be here for baptism in the afternoon. Then this coming summer, there will be another baptism taking place. There are several who have mentioned an interest uh, who are not here right now, and I'm looking forward to preparation for that. If for some reason you or someone you know is interested, feel free to talk to me, and uh, we're looking and preparing for that time. But now as we close, I'd like to pray and just ask God to be with each one of us in our commitment today. Our Father in heaven, we thank you so much that you have committed yourself to us. And we just want to recommit our lives to you. Lord, take our hearts. We can't give them. They're yours. And keep them for us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.